Welcome everyone to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I am Paul Nefer, your host, and today we're actually going to rejoin or have a, a subsequent conversation with Murray Weiss from Murray Weiss and Associates. Uh, Murray, how are things going? Very well, Paul. Thank you. Nice to talk to you again. Yeah, I think it was probably, a, I didn't go back and look at the archives, but I think it was about a year, year and a half ago, the last time we talked, and you've had some changes since then, but before we go into the changes for the people that maybe didn't hear that original podcast, let's just go through a little bit of your background. I know it's a fairly interesting background, so let's cover that first. Thanks, Paul. You know, it's a reflection of our age, I think, Paul, and I think it's at least a year and a half, maybe more. But anyway, that's set that aside for the moment. Paul, my background is is pretty simple. I was born on a grain and livestock farm in southern Ontario near uh, between uh, Detroit and Buffalo, New York. And actually, a very productive agricultural area, quite frankly. I had the opportunity of going to Iowa State to do my undergraduate degree and then went back to Ontario. I had established a very small, which I expanded, farming operation there. It was the time of, and probably very few, if any people listening to this will remember, Nixon's wage and price controls. Well, wage and price controls had had a devastating effect on America. To the contrary, in Canada, things inflated like you cannot believe inflated way beyond what we've experienced in the last three, three, you know, three or four years ago. I sold the farming operation there, had done well enough that I had bought a, uh, two small farms in Iowa, had full intent of coming back to farming, and believe it or not, in, in 1975, new farm machinery was nearly impossible to find. As a result of that, I went to work for uh, Continental Grain for a very brief period of time, went with a uh, uh, regional farm management farm, real estate company, and headquartered in, in uh, Iowa. Came to Champaign, Illinois with instructions. I was supposed to open an office here and be back in Iowa in two years. Instead of that, I bought the book of business east of the Mississippi River. Formed Westchester Group with the help of, of some sh- shareholder friends who, who are still shareholders, all of them that are alive or not divorced, um, which is, I think, 14 of the 16 original shareholders. Um, they're still shareholders with me to, today. Um, it was a great run, and my great transition, if I may be as boastful, was to take that farm real estate farm management company and transition into agricultural asset management, whereby we took on capital for typically state governmental pension funds, later years an insurance company, but mainly state governmental pension funds who wanted to invest in agriculture, wanted to own land, wanted somebody to look after the leasing of it, and wanted somebody to have a small equity interest in everything we acquired. Well, that made us a fairly major Midwestern company. Then they had a consultant who who reviewed us and the consultant's report said that they liked what we we're doing, but we needed to be a national company. So as a result of that, we became very heavily involved in the West Coast, Florida, the Southeastern states, the Pacific Northwest uh, in your backyard and, uh, and became fairly significant player with well over 100,000 acres of, of high quality U.S. farmland. That transitioned into some f- foreign adventures. And then by the uh, 2010, I reached a crossroad where I was a little bit uncomfortable. And uh, history wise, I had seen every farm property we acquired that was getting away from me. And so in late 2010, I sold that Westchester Group company. Um, the asset management side of the name to one of the major U.S. 
insurance asset management companies. They've taken it to an, uh, another level, which I'm happy to, to see occur. We continued on with the auction company, the farm brokerage company, the farm management company in 2015, late 2015, we got back into the agricultural asset management company, uh, asset management field, I should say, uh, exclusively with permanent crops, became a, a player again in California, almonds and wine grapes primarily, few pistachios. Then they wanted us to, to go to Chile, which we did, and then in 2019, I sold that company to, uh, or I sold the permit crop investor part of that company to a couple of my employees and continued on with Murray Wise Associates, an auction company, a farm brokerage company, working pr primarily with investors to a great degree and managing a lot of uh, Midwestern properties. And then I had known Paul Pittman with Farmland Partners, a publicly traded REIT based out of Denver for many, many years. and. Paul had approached me a number of times and I kept saying, no, I don't want to sell. No, I don't want to sell. <laughs> to my surprise, in 2021, a couple of my key management employees came to me and said, you know, you don't have any family in the business. You have six children, but none of them are involved. This thing, you know, probably isn't going to go on forever. So why don't we give some serious thought to uh, taking Farmland Partners serious, which we, which over a number of months we did. And, and then in the, in the fall of 2021, I sold the Farmland Partners, but Murray Wise Associates LLC continues on as a separate entity. Um, and again, I've been surprised by it, Paul, on the basis that that Paul Pittman, when he made the acquisition, said to me, we want it operated separately. We want you to do your own thing. We want you to operate it just like you have in the past. And I said, oh, yeah, I've heard that speech once before that didn't quite turn out that way. So I was a little pessimistic. Well, to the contrary, the absolute Paul's theory absolutely took place to the 98% level they have you know, stayed out of our hair, shall we say, and let us do our, our own thing. And so we've continued on with that, again, handling a lot of particularly Iowa and Illinois properties. And then from an auction point of view, we're doing a lot of different things. We sold a large greenhouse operation in Kentucky. Um, uh, in the last year, year and a half, we sold some other, do a little bit of bankruptcy liquidation work, which is always kind of interesting. And uh, it's just been a great run. And uh, slowly but surely, my uh, key employees are taking it over and making it, it happen. And, and uh, um, as I believe you know, I have a you know, fairly significant land holding, primarily in Iowa. And uh, I really, really love high quality farmland. I, uh, nothing. I, hits my hot button more than going and looking at a, a good quarter section, a good 80, a good half section, which, um, as you know, I did uh, for yesterday morning all day looking at Illinois properties that I uh, that Valerie and I own or my foundation owns. So it's been a great run and a great opportunity, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you were talking about Paul letting you sort of uh, run the business separately. You know, there's actually you know, I know enough about REIT taxation, real estate investment trust taxation to know that, you know, there's certain restrictions as to what a REIT can do as far as cash rents and so on. And yeah. then your type of business would be what they call a separate taxable subsidiary. So I can actually understand why Paul is probably letting you run it separately, because uh, from a tax standpoint, it would probably be an issue if they sort of combined it together. It's been you know, a great opportunity and a great relationship, Paul. So for the, the, the listeners out there right now, 
Murray Wise and Associates is primarily auction and farm management. Is that correct, or is there some other stuff that you're actually doing too? Well, we we do some uh, you know private tree offerings, but I would say typically sixty-five to seventy-five percent of of our farm real estate activities uh, you know are auctions, and again um, with a large degree of man property management blended in with that and and so that's the exclusive activities of, of marine wise associates i personally uh, as an example own a small uh florida home building company where we build about 20 25 houses a year i'm involved, obviously involved in my own farming operation at least from a leasing point of view and activity and so there's some other things beyond marine wise associates but that's primarily it on your farming, are you, is that all cash rent or are you doing a crop share? Actually, Paul, today it's it's evolved for tax reasons, again, which you'll understand, and government program reasons into uh, um, all cash rent. Up till three years ago, I was doing, a, a, I would say that 30%, 35% of my farms were bushel leased, whereby the operator gave a, a fixed number of bushels of corn or soybeans as, as the lease payment. Um, I also, up till probably 2018, um, my children own a couple of farms as an example, and, and we were custom farming those, believe it or not, and I yep. was custom farming a couple of my own farms, which I really, really like to do. Um, you know, my kids qualify for the, any government farm payments. I don't qualify for any government farm payments, so there's some automatic restrictions there, and given your tax background, you understand that it, better oh, than yeah. anybody I'll visit with. Yeah. I definitely know those the, those rules. So, uh, but uh, um, and then um, since you've done a fair amount of auctions um, over the last few years, and we know that land values, you know, if we go back to eighteen or so, that was you know we had four or five bad years, and then nineteen we started getting the MFP payment. The pandemic hits. Everybody thought the world's going to you know, end and then suddenly it starts turning around and we know 21 and 22 were very good years for land values. Uh, does your auction results show that or is there parts of the country that are stronger or weaker? I'm, I'm, I'd just like to get your your background on, on where you see both a historical over the last few years and then what you see going forward. Well, that's a that's a really really great question, and one sense I'm maybe the wrong person to ask because I really thought uh, in that time period, the, the 2018 to 2020, that uh, that we would see some adjustment in farmland values. Then the pandemic hit, and I was sure we were going to see some adjustment in, in farmland values. When in fact, as as all of us know, the exact opposite happened. They continued to move higher, and. Uh, and they're even moving higher today. I have predicted or made comments for at least five years that I expected a leveling off period and a mellowing period when in fact that absolutely has not happened. And even today, I find the the quality, and I emphasize the word quality, land market uh, very, very interesting because it continues to move higher. And the forces uh, for people like you and I have been around a long time, the forces are a little bit different today. All of a sudden, we have um, a lot of cash in the ag economy, and that cash is looking for a quality home. Up till a year ago, we had extremely low farm mortgage rates. We certainly don't today, but we did have. And and 
the, the interest in, in buying a farm, particularly if you're a neighbor looking at it, is rather intense, even today. And we've seen some sales in, in uh, both Iowa and Illinois in the last 90 days that l- literally were 10 to 20 percent higher than my highest expectation. And the sales remain very, very strong. And, and I find them a little bit baffling, but yet realistic at the same time. And also, as I know you understand, there's just a tremendous demand out here for very successful farm operators wanting to add, you know, they got a son or a daughter coming home. And in this day and age, it's frequently a daughter coming home and wanting to, uh, wanting to, you know, add on additional acres to their already good sized farming operation. And, and uh, it's just a very, very interesting environment today, Paul. And I find it very, very fa- fascinating to to say the, the least. And and uh, um, it's an interesting time to be involved in agriculture. Even today with, you know, some commodity pr- price pressure, interest rate pressure, there is still a lot of uh, interest in, in buying another, you know, good Midwest U.S. farm, if you will, on the basis that there just is a lot of capital out there looking for a quality home, a home that they feel comfortable with. Uh, again, the commercial property market, because of the effects of COVID and people working from home and whatever, has changed significantly. We see all, all kinds of capital coming out of the commercial property area, wanting to move to agriculture. You know, previously they used to gripe about our, you know, two and a half to three and a half percent returns on on quality farmland where they thought they could get a, you know, six to seven to eight percent return on commercial property. And all of a sudden the commercial property ends up vacant and they go, oh, this wasn't such a great deal after all. Maybe we should have bought that farm. And so there's a bit of a driving force there, but the neighbor's still the the majority of the farm buyer today. Yeah, you know, you're right. Uh, uh, you know, the the nice thing about farmland is you never really have a vacancy. I mean, it's it's uh, now you could it, you could have prevent plant, but, you know, crop insurance is going to help, uh, you know, still give you a, a little bit of a return on that. Uh, uh, but uh, you also you and I are also you're a little older than me, not that much older, okay. but uh, we I can know. remember when interest rates of seven or eight percent were actually a pretty good deal. Right. <laughs> right. I, I remember my first home, I think we bought it in 1984. I'd been married about a year and a half. And I was tickled pink that our interest rate was 12%. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, but you, you know, the young guys on here, they don't want to hear that. So, uh, well, I have a quick parallel story, Paul. In my first home that we bought in, in, uh, in Clara and Iowa, uh, it was 7%. And I thought that was a real bargain. I mean, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> and then we moved to Champaign, Illinois. And I'm not trying to parallel, uh, you know, totally steal your story, but the lowest rate we could find was 12%. And yeah. I went back to my employer at the time and said, you're going to subsidize me for 5% or I'm not moving to Illinois. <laughs> and and they, they did, in fact. But to think, you know, 12, and, and 12% was was considered attractive, believe it or not, in 1982, yeah. 3 and 4. Oh, oh yeah, no. Well, um, I remember I, I borrowed, I think I borrowed $7,000 from my dad and, you know, I worked up, uh, you know, I'm a CPA. I work up this beautiful promissory note. I sign off and I remember I sent the uh, first check to my dad and, you know, it was like for 200 bucks or something or 150 bucks. I mean, it wasn't a lot of money. And about a week later, I get an envelope and it's from my dad and I open it up and there's a whole bunch of confetti in there. 
And there's a note from my dad saying, hey, if you send me another check like this, it's gonna, I'm going to send it back exactly the same way. He basically <laughs> forgave the, the note right away, but I thought it was sort of funny oh, the nice. way he did it. How nice. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, these days, $7,000, not a lot of money. But back then, you know, when you're starting out, that was that was a decent chunk of change. That so, was a lot of money pulling me from. <laughs> <laughs> so is if interest rates, let's say that interest rates stay this high. And again, compared to history, they're not that high, but stay this high. Eventually, do you think that's going to cause land values to go down or you just think there's enough demand both from the farmer side and from people diversifying out of commercial real estate that's going to keep the values up? Well, in my opinion, it would take a prolonged period of higher interest rates that I mean, you know, higher interest rates uh, to have an effect on the land market at the moment. There is just so much cash out there at the moment that, uh, uh, you know, many of the acquisitions that we see, particularly from an auction point of view, are literally just writing a check out of their money market or checking account and buying the farm. There is a tremendous amount of cash. Now, sooner or later, if they continue to ratchet rates higher, which I'm not sure they're going to, but uh, if they continue to ratchet rates higher, yes, it should have, as you're alluding to, a an impact on farmland values you know, sooner or later, but uh, um, again, not at the moment. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I now, you know, corn is certainly backed off on price here. It's down in that high fours, low fives, at least on futures. I know cash is either above or below that. Um, I think, you know, the farmer can still break even to that level, uh, but we'll, we'll see what happens. So uh, now you're primarily doing auctions in that Midwest area. Uh, are you doing a lot outside of that? Uh, also, you'd mentioned you'd sold off the permanent crop side. Uh, are you still doing anything on the permanent crop side? No, I'm not doing anything on the permanent crop side today, unfortunately. Uh, personally, farmland partners do have a few modest holding of permanent crops, but we're, we're not directly involved in that. I get called in on it periodically, but not directly involved. But, uh, um, you know, in the last 18 months, yes, it's been primarily the I-States, uh, uh, Iowa, Illinois, and, and Indiana. By the same token, we just, you know, completed back in early May a, a fairly good size auction in Nebraska, and we have a, a major auction coming up in August in, in Colorado. And one of my people and I are flying to New Jersey today to look at some vegetable producing ground where I believe people are going to to take that to auction. So, despite the fact I'm stepping on my own tail here. Um, you know, historically, Iowa, uh, Illinois, and Indiana have been the place where where most of our activity is. But again, we get pulled out of here, uh, you know, now and again. And and we also did an uh, auction of 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 hunting land, a large auction of hunting land in Florida back in in March. So we uh, we escape our backyard periodically, but uh, it's usually by request, not necessarily by design. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, that's a pretty good update. You know, we're not going to do the normal 30 to 45 minute call. This is a sort of a get caught up. I, I would like to ask you a couple personal questions. And, um, sure. you know, I think you are a serial entrepreneur, but what other hobbies do you have? Work. <laughs> Come on, Murray. It's got to be I'm very work. So. I'm, uh, I'm very boring, Paul, other than back when we were in the, uh, 
we are the third largest almond grower in the world, and 90% of our production was shipped outside of the United States, and that resulted in a tremendous amount of tra travel. And of course, since I own the company, Valley Travel, my wife traveled with me. And so we've done a lot of travel. We continue to want to do travel. Certainly, the uh, pandemic has, has slowed that down, but tra travel is, is really uh, um, our significant uh, activity outside of, of the farm brokerage business. But the same token, Paul, I, I have to you know absolutely confess that uh, th there's nothing I enjoy more than going out and talking to a farmer about what he's doing, why he's doing it, how he's doing it, but you know, better than his neighbor or better than someone, you know, whoever. Uh, it, it's just, it's a fascinating industry. And, and uh, um, I think it will continue to be very, very fascinating on a go-forward basis. And and I also think the structure of the major farming operation today, you know, the, the Wall Street Journal like to tell us it's all corporate farming. It's, as you know, it's not corporate farming. It's typically family operation, you know, father, mother. And today, a very high percentage of our major operators have a daughter who maybe, you know, like you has CPA designation and and but has now come back to the family farm and, and they got a son involved in day-to-day -day operations that's that's over sort of the chief operating officer if you will and those you put that combination together and you've got a powerful powerful uh, farming unit and and that's where I see the major growth and farm operators are concerned are are well structured not far many of them already have a grandson or two or three back into into the business and and uh, it's just a fascinating industry to be involved in as no one under would understand better than paul Neifer. <laughs> and, and i totally agree with you i mean it's it's i think over the next 10 or 20 years you're going to see you know we've had the technological advances as far as in equipment and technology but I, I think you're right, that management structure of farming, family farm operations, not this corporate stuff that, you know, like you say, Wall Street Journal or the or the the typical housewife in Chicago thinks it's all run by one large corporation. It's not. I, I think you're just going to definitely see that evolve and, and the evolution is going to be even better. So I, I definitely agree with that. So. And you asked well, about my per personal involvement. I have to share with you, they're, they're long since. Uh, uh, five or six of them are, you know, married and gone and have their own families. But in the case of my children, Paul, back in, in particularly the late 80s and 90s, uh, I used to say, let, let, let's go for a ride out in the country. And once they became teenagers and could figure out what was going on, they'd look at me and say, are we just going to go and look at more farms? <laughs> and if the answer was, that was yes, they didn't want to go. <laughs> You know, I, you know, I had the opposite because, you know, my parents were older. My dad was 47. My mom was 36 when I was born, and I'm the oldest of three. And probably my favorite thing with my parents when I was a teenager um, was to take them out, look at our fields, look at all the other fields. You know, that was some of the best um, time I ever had with my parents. So I, I appreciated that time. But but you but. You know, you were older then too. I'm I'm talking about teenagers. Don't have. Oh no, I was, I was I, I was like 16, 17, 18. Oh, no, I was wow. the driver wow. for my parents. So, wow. Uh, wow. You know, wow. no, I, I I I enjoyed doing that. Super. Now Super. I also had my own car, and I took a trip to to Utah and Seattle and California by myself many times. So it wasn't uh, always with my parents, but uh, no, I I definitely enjoyed that. And then my dad. Grew up in the Dakotas, so I would take him back every summer to visit his 
siblings and nieces and nephews and so on. And uh, that's also some of my uh, favorite uh, favorite activities with my parents. Well, my, my only parallel to that is is uh, over the July 4th weekend, we had a large number of family here in Champaign. And I took my two youngest grandsons out to one of the major farming operations uh, uh, here in Champaign County. Very, very successful, well-equipped operation, as you could visualize. And when I finally got the, I didn't tell them where we were going until I got them in the car and we were heading out there. When I told them where we were going, they're kind of like, Oh, did they have a swimming pool? <laughs> As a matter of curiosity, they did. But when the kids got out there, the, the, the host was so great. He let them drive uh, uh, some equipment, and let them yeah. hear some equipment run. And they, they, they didn't want to leave. They were just blown away by it. So yeah. there's two edges to that sword, shall we say. Yeah, and I'll tell one quick story. So the last time I took my parents to uh, the Dakotas, they were probably, my dad was probably early 80s, maybe mid 80s. And we'd gone up to Canada. We, it, I, this had been a 2000 mile trip and I was getting tired. And I remember telling my dad, hey, I'm gonna hop in the back seat. Of course, that's back when I didn't wear seat belts. I was in the back seat reading a book and I told my dad, Hey, just you're going to go straight for about 20 miles. You're going to come to a stop sign. Then you're going to turn left and you're going to go 20 miles and we're going to get to my aunt's place. So I'm in the back seat reading the book. Suddenly I'm airborne and I hear my dad go, whoa, Nelly. And he had blown through the stop sign and wow. we went over this embankment. Luckily, it was a gravel road. You know, he got the car finally finally settled down and so on. That's the last time I ever let my dad drive. So <laughs> I'm glad to know you're here with us, Paul. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I still remember. I mean, I probably was a foot and a half off of the seat. I mean, I almost hit the ceiling. So uh, and luckily there's no damage to the car or anything. But I still remember my dad going, whoa, Nelly. So but, uh, <laughs> anything else you'd like to add, Murray? No, that's good. It's great to visit with you as always. Paul, and you do a, a great service for agriculture, which I deeply admire. Well, I enjoy doing it. And part of what I really enjoy is uh, like doing a podcast with you today. So uh, again, so this is the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. This is Paul Neefer, your host, signing off. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. How many years away is the long run for a farmer? Five years? Ten years? Top producers like Hans Reinchi of Blue Diamond Farming Company in Jessup, Iowa, know RoboAgri Finance shares his enduring vision for the future. Whether it's building our grain site or if it's purchasing the next field, we're able to turn to Robo as a trusted partner to help us get financing to make those generational decisions. With unmatched financial capacity, local relationship managers and a global network of sector experts to offer market guidance. RoboAgri Finance provides enterprising farmers with a personalized approach to lending and financial services. Growing a better world together, RoboAgri Finance.